welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. Hello and welcome to the Birth Activists podcast. And today I have obviously the lovely Samantha Gadsden and today we're joined with Kay King. Hi Kay. Good morning Becky, good morning Sam. Good morning Kay, morning Becky and good morning everyone. Hi Sam. Um, now Kay is no stranger to the podcast because she joined Jackie Tompkins of IMUK and talking about the Childbirth Choices Matter campaign a while back but today Kay is here to talk about herself not specifically herself but her new book so Kay would you like to just um, give a brief introduction to yourself and obviously talk a little bit about the book that you've written sure Thank you for having me here. It's wonderful to be here again. Um, I'll, I'll try my hardest to talk very little about myself if I can. <laughs> but um, yes, I've written a book. Some, somehow between the beginning of this year and now a book um, came into being. And it is part of the Pinter and Martin uh, Why It Matters series, which is a series of books which are all kind of bite-sized, really accessible chunks of information around everything to do with pregnancy, parenting, birth choices, and I've written book number 20 in this fabulous series. So my book is called Why Baby Loss Matters and it covers all areas of baby loss and, and really in a lot of ways is a book about grief as opposed to a book that details the medical factual information about baby loss. There is a bit of that in there but the majority of this book really is about an exploration of grief and how we integrate living with grief in our lives. And that book's out now, is it? Is it not, Kay? That book comes out today. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Not, not today on the podcast, today on when we're recording the podcast. Absolutely. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll be Get able out. to go and buy it. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, the, the Pinter and Martin group of books, uh, White Matters, are, are fabulous. Like you say, they're so accessible. They're really easy to read and, you know, great um, little additions to any birth worker, but also obviously for parents as well that um, are experiencing this as well. So obviously just a little trigger warning to anybody that we will be talking about loss. So, you know, just bear that in mind if you continue listening to the podcast. Um, so, Kay, what brought you to write the book? Well, it was an interesting happening, really. Um, I've been a birth doula since 2013. Um, and it never really, like, it hadn't really occurred to me that I would be working, certainly not specifically in loss. I came into doulaing to support women through labour and birth and postnatally. Um, and the, much of my early work as a doula was was all around that really was um, predominantly birth-based work I didn't even do that much postnatal work um, and then a few a few kind of months into being a doula I got a phone call from, from a friend of mine she was I, I don't know that I would ever say that she was a client she was just a friend sort of asking me whether I would go and support her while she underwent a termination and it was a choice-based termination um, and she just wanted somebody with her. She didn't have anyone with her. She wanted to explore what was going on for her. She wanted to feel practically supported. And everything she was listing off were exactly what I do as a doula. So of course I, you know, gave it a bit of thought, but then said to her, yeah, you know, I feel like I can completely, you know, be your doula for that. And I guess that was the first time really that I realized that my work and my role as a doula would take me through this whole spectrum from conception through to birthing through loss through supporting women in whatever way they come to that journey and just loss has more and more so and I, in some ways deliberately but mainly just sort of an accidental happening has kind of come to to my door so I've supported a lot of women as they've miscarried at home and then I now increasingly more so I support women very late on into their journey when they've maybe just found out that they have a lost baby and I join them for their birth experience and postnatally. Um, so some of that, some of that sort of ceremony, some of that is grief holding, some of that is practical support of birth, but just stillbirth. Sometimes that can be supporting people who have got a child in neonatal care and just kind of getting them to a place where they're exploring both loss and life. Um, all different ways really but the was your question how did I write the book because I haven't really responded well, no, you've answered the question really it was how, okay, you, how, great. You, know, how you came to write the book and it sounds like it's been like quite an organic development of your doula role really 
It has. I guess I would say very specifically about the book, when I was supporting a woman two years ago, this is what really led to the, the contract. I was supporting a woman two years ago with what was anticipated to be a normal live birth. And um, she, very late on in her pregnancy, in fact, past term, experienced the stillbirth of her, of her daughter. And it was shortly after that, sometime after that, we were speaking on the phone and she was obviously, her and her partner were still very deeply in grief and and she just posed the question to me, why, why didn't any of the books I read, I've got all these books all around my house, all about pregnancy, why didn't any of them tell me that this was something that I needed to be prepared for? There's these little, like two paragraph sections hidden in the very dark corners of a lot of pregnancy books under special circumstances. And, and in order, the irony of that is that in order for any woman to reach that point, they've got to have read an entire book about being pregnant and the joys of having their, their newborn. So. So whilst I absolutely applaud and encourage anybody who's writing a book on pregnancy to consider loss somewhere in the narrative, bearing in mind that any woman that reaches that point has had to put themselves through some kind of torturous exploration of, of the alternative. Mm -hmm. So in response to my client saying that, I sort of got, I started looking around at what had been written and found that a lot of the books that are available on baby loss are memoirs or yeah. afterwards or very, very personal. Uh, which is wonderful, but often there isn't something that speaks to the kind of unquantifiable nature of baby loss and the, the all of the ways in which that can happen and a lot of the hidden ways in which that can happen. Yeah. So really the book was a response to that. It was it was in honour of that woman's loss and her need for a book that didn't exist. And yeah, that's kind of how it came about, really. Lovely. Yeah. So, Go on, Sam. I was just going to say, Kay's just mentioned you've just mentioned all of the ways it can happen because this goes way way beyond stillbirth or neonatal death exactly. or there's many ways people can lose a baby and I think you've covered them all or not well I don't know there's always a new thing but you've covered as many as you could think of I guess in the book and that people could contribute to yeah I think I've covered as many as I could fit in and also really important to say that this book is informed by 190 conversations with women and birthing people and so I've covered what came to my door I think since then in fact a couple of weeks ago I was having a really interesting conversation with a woman who had been a surrogate for for many years and who was experiencing some grief around yeah. the loss of the baby she carried and that's not covered in the book and I'm that's a, a slight regret actually I would you know that would have been a really interesting addition but that didn't really come to my door at the point of writing it but yes the book really does go through some of the less maybe the less considered forms of baby loss so um we look in the book at loss of healthier outcomes so people who have experienced the birth of a child who has a condition syndrome illness that they maybe weren't prepared for or anticipating yeah and therefore whilst they might not be grieving the physical loss of their child they probably will be experiencing some form of baby loss because the baby that they anticipated isn't the baby that they got yeah and that doesn't mean in any way that they don't adore and love the child that they have but it's a really big process of grief letting go of what you anticipated um, we talk about con uh, conception and infertility loss um, the loss of role as a step parent so people who have um, mothered or fathered a child during a parent relationship that breaks down and then walking away from that forcible removal of babies from mum's arms um, so yeah it really uh, and also importantly to say termination and abortion was firmly placed in this book as a form of baby loss that was one of my absolutely adamant things when I was speaking to the publisher in the early days absolutely. yeah yeah that's one thing that doesn't get talked about a lot these days as well, is it? Or it's not even considered, like you say, as child loss, is it? During Baby Loss yeah. Awareness Week, I made a post about abortion and termination with a separate candle. It was one of the most liked posts I've ever made on my business page because I yeah. specifically mentioned abortion and termination. There's and so many of us, you know, so many people who are walking around with them. I'm just going to read a little bit from the book here. So, um, in 2018, there were 205,295 abortions in England and Wales. Wow. The abortion rate was highest for those aged 21. And 81% of those women were single. So what that leads me to understand is that there are a lot, a really, really large number of young single women going through the possibility of deep grief with the additional vulnerability of societal shaming, blame and misunderstanding. And yeah. I just think 
that for me is, you know, setting aside our judgment values, whether even if we are pro-life campaigners, like setting aside all of that, how can we see the grief? And how can we see that whilst we might not agree with, whilst, whilst we might even blame these women or these birthing people for their choices around what's happened, grief still needs to be held and dealt with and supported. Yeah. By we, Kay doesn't mean us. None of us on this podcast judge anybody, I don't. None no. of us. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why it is part of, of our role, isn't it? I mean, I've heard it, you know, plenty of times when I've spoken to, to clients or potential clients and talking to them about, you know, their history. And, you know, they'll sort of say, well, I've never lost, I've never had, a, you know, I've never experienced baby loss, but I have had a miscarriage. So it's almost like people in their brains don't put the, you know, the fact that they've had a miscarriage as losing a baby. And you know, that's all in the terminology, isn't it? When, when you, uh, you know, when people go to hospital having a miscarriage, they talk about the fetus, they talk about a miscarriage. They don't talk to it, talk to you about it being a baby. Mm-hmm. They uh, deal with it actually in the main area of the, you know, the medical area of the hospital rather than maternity. So, you know, there's all these things already in society that sort of are telling parents that actually, if you have a miscarriage, you haven't lost a baby. No. Yeah. Yeah. In the, book, the only person that defines whether you identify as having had a pregnancy loss or a baby loss is you yeah. if you identify as a parent because you're going through rounds of IVF even if you have never conceived but you identify as being a parent then it is for nobody else to tell you whether you've had a baby loss or not like mm-hmm. you are experiencing a miscarriage at two weeks or a stillbirth at 40 weeks like some women are really, really pragmatic about very, very different circumstances. And some are deeply, deeply spiritually and soulfully connected to the energy or potential of that life. The only person who can define it is the griever, is the person who's experienced loss. Absolutely. And yet the medical terminology does very, very little to support us in having that range of language, does it? No, and, and the same for women who've had terminations and abortions. I've lost track of the number I've spoken to who think that they then don't deserve to have the baby that they're pregnant with now as well. You know, it's a really, really common theme in the people that I've worked with, that shame. And they all, they don't want to tell me, you know, and they do. And then I'm like, that's a grief. And then they cry because then they don't feel judged. And it's really common. I'm not identifying anybody because it's happened a number of times. And then we talk about grief ceremonies. And I think sometimes when they tell me that it's the first time that anybody's ever been kind about it. Or probably the first time ever that they've even contemplated the idea that grief needs to be held and have space. You know, we are, are, and again, it's something written in the book, but we are a really death denied society and very focused on progress, very focused on the advancement of things, the reduction of anything bad. You know, when what we have is such a small offer of cultural experiences, soulful experiences, education, even around anything to do with death and grief. And so we fear it and we spend our lives going around trying to do everything that we possibly can to throw money at stopping it. Death death and loss are inevitabilities. And yes, yes, baby loss statistics should come down. Yes, they should, like there are preventable circumstances that lead to baby loss that should be reduced and and research should happen in those areas but will baby loss always happen of course it will of course it will like it is part of what happens in our cycle of life and death and sometimes it happens because of choice as well you know like that is part of the society we live in so I think being ill prepared particularly as birth workers and as birth activists being ill prepared and just sort of thinking gosh, that's tragic, but I'm not going to look at it, is, is something that really needs to change. And, and in, in a way that the book is very much for birth workers, as well as it's for grievers and parents. It's, you know, it's a really cool call to action, really, for, for birth workers to look it in the face and, and to find their own values within it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we've, we've seen quite a bit in, in the news recently as well, haven't we? I mean, obviously, there's the... the um, ruling in in Poland which has made abortions illegal um massive injustice there for for human and, and reproductive rights there uh, and also we've had over here obviously during the pandemic you know we've had a story that that, that possibly baby lost the number of, of deaths has risen 
Uh, we don't know the statistics as yet, but that's obviously just a projection, I guess. Um, and also the stories that women and, and birthing people are going to scans and finding out that their baby's heartbeat has stopped are absolutely unsupported on their own. Yeah, and I think we're, I think it is going to be a very long time, if at all possible, to do the data and the research that really looks at what, you know, what was the, what was the full picture on, on loss, on baby loss in relation to both lockdown and the pandemic. I know through the work that I do in relationships and sex ed that there's definitely been a statistical rise in teenage pregnancy throughout the lockdown period due to the lack of family planet clinics and lack of people feeling like they can leave their home to go and make their choices around either contraception or termination and whilst a rise in teenage pregnancies isn't necessarily in isolation a negative thing um, I'm not anti-teenage pregnancies at all but um, I think you have to look at that and go would some of those statistics been informed choice terminations that have been denied to women because of a lack of service and and that again is a really troubling thing because you've then got people going through parenting journeys that they aren't necessarily choosing you've got loads and loads of fertility clinics stopping so people who are very deeply into their journey towards getting pregnant whose eggs aren't sitting around going like oh cool i'll go on pause until the end of lockdown um you know their bodies are changing every day and yet access to the fertility treatment that they were hoping to get has been reduced and and so there are these very very subtle unseen circumstances of baby loss huge huge increase in domestic violence throughout lockdown and we know that domestic violence is one of the leading contributors to preventable baby loss with women you know who are experiencing women or birthing people experiencing domestic violence within their homes leading to increases in, in stillbirth and miscarriage rates and I think all of those disproportionate outcomes have been amplified through the way that we've changed society so, yeah and then in your book Kay I think by babies taken from their mother's arms are you talking about children being removed by social services here is that yes yeah, I am. And it isn't a hugely common incident, but it does happen. And I do cover it in the book. There's um, a couple of extracts. There's an extract from a, in a birth companion who was with a client whilst that happened. Um, there's Sheena Byram make, made a comment in the book about having witnessed as a midwife at a time when a woman had her baby forcibly taken away and I, I list out the grounds or the ways in which that can happen within the book just to kind of give some context to it but yes a woman who has birthed a baby and then by social services has that baby removed from her obviously while she's still very actively in her fourth trimester lactating body yearning for baby yeah I, turning to as it should be afterwards I've supported a few of those and I find the absolute lack of humanity around these women is just barbaric, to be honest. There's, I, I've supported more than one, so I don't want anyone to think I'm being identifying, but I find the lack of concern for the newly birthed woman to be shocking from every single sector of service provision and across a number of different women, universally across the UK. There's no support, there's no care for them, they basically, you know, I, well, I could go on and on about what I think about the way women who have babies removed. And I also think that a lot of these removals, if women were given proper support, trauma support, early support, childhood trauma support, this none of these removals would be happening anyway. You know, if women were properly supported, most of the removals that I've been involved in wouldn't have happened. They, they happened because of lack of care, lack of provision, lack of support. And babies in Wales, and I keep saying this, babies in Wales are taken into care 30% more often than English babies. Mm. And we have no mother and baby units, and I believe that there's a link. Mm. Also, there is that, um, you know, like you said, it's that there's that, that lack of human humanity when a baby's taken away. And it's almost like the idea of well you deserve it because you got yourself into this mess type attitude isn't it but what about the grief uh, and that will always be my question like judgment aside grief even if you are a complete narcissist and you think that everybody should deserve to be in pain right like let's take it to that extreme if you live in a society where people are walking around deeply within grief society does not function like people's mental well health and their ability to function and be in a society and to raise other children and to lead education and to lead healthcare 
does not work if they are deeply within grief, if they're experiencing grief of any any kind. And we are all experiencing grief of some kind or another uh, all the time, you know, whether that's grief of a loss of trust in somebody or grief as um, experience of a loss of body autonomy or, you know, even the loss of a friend, you know, we're all constantly experiencing some form of grief in the grief recovery method, which is a, a program that I teach. We talk about the fact that well, the definition by the method is that grief is the normal and natural response to loss or change of any kind. Yeah. And so therefore we're all experiencing it, but people who are then, if we're living with grief and it's, it's living inside us and we're compressing it and it's not going anywhere and we're just building up this pressure, then it becomes, it negatively accumulates and it reaches a point where we are just building one loss over the other, over the other, over the other, over the other. And there's nowhere for that to be, held or supported because none of us have been taught to do anything with grief no. apart from try to move people on from it or tell people yeah. to be strong ignore it people, yeah, yeah ignore the grief go and grieve alone time will heal you it's you know and all, children. it's bad for the children oh you can't be like this it's bad for them you know yeah. there's that stiff upper, stiff upper lip british yeah. kind of attitude to grief absolutely and like you just touched on there sam is that actually you know we aren't doing our children a service if we're ignoring it. We need to be teaching them how to deal with it so that they then can deal with it through their adult lives as well. Yeah, yeah, because they will come into contact with it. And especially now during the pandemic, because there is so much grief going on. Yeah. That's so yeah. For everybody, of, of a life that we've previously lived, you know, of being with people, of having any kind of social connections, that like society is rich with grief at the moment. And yeah. one of the reasons that that is so hard for us is because we don't have the tools. Like we, we just don't have the tools to understand how to hold and work with that, which is, I think in some ways, as well as, as, well as loving my work as a doula, I think in some ways this is the curiosity for me now. Grief work is stepping more and more towards my door and I'm very, very interested in that crossover line between birth doulas and death doulas and, yeah. and exploring some of the, you know, the grief rituals that we should be building in. And, and, and in many ways as birth workers, you know, like our hands up to the fact that beyond the, you know, session that Maddie ran on my de developing doulas training course, which was excellent. I didn't then go away and go like, it is my responsibility to read around grief and loss. I went away and read about all the exciting, joyful, wonderful things that we were gonna do in supporting babies mm. and supporting new mothers. And I think I tread carefully when I say this because it's it could be misinterpreted, but when, when you come to a place of understanding the role that grief can have in your life. And this is not saying that I am an advocate for baby loss. I don't want people to have to go through baby loss. It's hard and it's really terrifying. But of all of the women and families that I have supported who have been through it, the ability for them, and again, they're not a monolithic group. A lot of those people are still deeply in their grief, but the ability for people to go through the remainder of their life with that extremely close connection to the fragility of what this life really is and therein the beauty of that fragility is it, it just means that all of the joyous moments of their life are also amplified as well mm. um and yeah I think you know for for many people and people who have beautifully come to integrate like the soul and the energy of their loss into their family lives into their homes of course it's still sad like of course your body yearns for the, for the physicality of them but there aren't it isn't without real beauty as well for mm. a lot of those families um it is again, almost I, like that saying you know what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger isn't it it's do you come out a different person after something like that and you do appreciate that the good things in life better you know they yeah, be fit yeah. like you say they become amplified don't they and you really don't take for granted your life yeah it's, and I think you know the, the careful thing I'm trying to not say there is it'll be all right you know it yes. it won't be all right your baby your baby will not be returned to you like yeah. you it will not be all right but that doesn't mean that you can't have a life that has peace in it and I think that's that's the big thing that we haven't been taught we've just been taught to be fearful yeah and I think a lot of people as well when they they they're fearful of, of forgetting 
about their child and I think what you're saying there in terms of almost like inviting it into their life is like you know celebrating the birthdays celebrating the Christmases you're in an extra place at the table and all those sort of things you know ceremonial ritual things that they can do um, to remember their baby yeah. Um, it's really, really important. But like we sort of mentioned earlier, we do, you know, society is, does have this sort of stiff upper, stiff upper, stiff upper lip type, um, um, you know, approach to it in that actually we should be forgetting about it and moving on, which isn't healthy, really. Well, we talk, everybody, like my family think I'm weird. My father died when I was 14 and I, nobody in our family ever talked about grief or still doesn't talk about grief. But I talk about death and life very openly with my children. I wouldn't want them to get to a point where something happens to me and it's not, not something we'd ever spoken about because that's mm. what happened to us. And it's that what, Kay, I think what I call it is finding beauty in the small things. So I yeah. say to my children, if you can find something beautiful in the small, you will always find something to, to lift you up. So the fern in the garden or the tree across the rose or looking for the small stuff. That's what I do anyway. That's what I yeah. teach the children. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, which, you know, without wanting to sound ridiculously weird, um, or overly hippie and that's how I do it we're all woo-woo <laughs> we've all got a bit of woo-woo there yeah, might, 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 be, <laughs> might be a good audience for this podcast but you know like, <laughs> um, I, I think we've so we've so lost touch with the idea of the continuation of energy from one yeah. being to the next and I really am trying to not sound like a dreadlocked hippie just on a little rant here but you know I speak in the book of um of the idea of, of the fact that yes, yes, the physicality of your child is no longer with you, and that is tragic and that is heartbreaking. But do you have their blood and their DNA in you? Do you is their energy still present? Is the heat from the body still present? Is their potential still present? All of those things we have not been given the spiritual and the soulful education to understand how to connect with that and. Actually, I think where I come across women who have done that, who have understood, you know, that they can spend time doing certain things to reconnect to the energy of their child, actually, they find a very, very new and very unique relationship to that loss compared to people who are just told to move on, who are, you know, the grief isn't met, all those things. Mm. The other thing that um, I've, I've found personally with, with one of my clients, actually, is that... Um, you know, people often think that when they then ha go on to have their rainbow baby, which is, you know, a term we use for babies that are born after a loss, that somehow that grief disappears. Whereas actually the reality is, is that, you know, that that baby did exist. They are always going to grieve that baby. And although they may have this other child, it does not take away that grief from the, that um, first loss, does it? No, it doesn't replace the child. And, you know, whether you, whether you choose, Rainbow Babies comes into the book a, a bit, you know, it's, it's an increasingly used term. And for some people, it's absolutely right. For others, it isn't. And um, we, need, we do need to be aware of the fact that we don't replace the loss. But I am also going to say, having a baby after baby loss can be hugely healing. That yeah. does not yeah. replace your loss, yeah. but it can be hugely healing. It is not something that anybody should ever give you as advice, you know, solicited or unsolicited advice about having, oh, you can try again or you can get pregnant again. No, you need to spend your time grieving your loss. But if it is right for you to go on and try and get pregnant at another point, again, that is not for anybody else to tell you. And I'm, I am yet to meet a woman who has given birth to a baby after loss who's replaced it like a dead goldfish. You know, that's not what we do in our relationships with our children in the same way that my second child is nothing like my first child they are completely different and yeah I think I don't I don't think that's something that comes into the minds of the birthing person I think that's something that society does a lot to us you know oh, at yes. least you know you can get pregnant yes at least you can that try again it. don't give up hope all of these really really moving us away from the grief comments that we make yeah um they're, they're, they're from people that think they're being helpful aren't they they're then you know they're not malicious comments they are just trying to be helpful but it's important that people recognize that actually sometimes it's actually not helpful and that that person needs to go through these feelings they're completely normal and actually like you say it's very healing to go through those grief processes and to, mm -hmm. to get out the other side 
Um, well, I think yeah. what, what can be interesting is that actually for some women, it's um, I've got a client in in the book that I talk about who a really lovely and really lovely thing that stood out for me that I wanted to include in there was um, that on shortly after she'd had her baby who was still born, I think at around 30 weeks, she received in the post an envelope from a friend and within it there were two cards there was I'm so sorry for your loss but there was also congratulations on the birth of your baby girl oh yeah that's and the fact that a friend of hers had identified that two very very significant events had happened she'd given birth to a baby and she'd experienced a loss is exactly the shift that we need to make in that notion of trying to move people on to the next or, or the what is like if you say to a woman who has just lost her baby at least you know you can get pregnant you give her absolutely no pride opportunity to be validated as the mother to the child that she's just had. Um, and yes, that child is not alive, but there may be things about that baby that she really wants to tell you who it looked like, what his fingers looked like, how cute his little nose was, you know, like all of the things that as mothers we want to do, they might want, you know, if they've experienced a neonatal loss or a sudden infant death, of course they're going to want to talk about their child. Of course they are. And, and by moving people into the next experience, we just deny them all of those abilities to celebrate the child that they have had. They've still had a child, you know, like if that's how they deem it, then they've had a child. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, one of my clients who I supported with with her um, baby after, after a loss, you know, our first antenatal session, we spent a good couple of hours with her telling me about her baby, you know, showing me the photos and the videos. And it's a massive part, isn't it? You know, it's 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 almost like, well, I'm not forgetting about that. I may be pregnant having another baby, but I'm not going to forget about that baby. And like, you know, we've already said is that society does, it's, you know, I think a lot of people just don't know how to talk to people that have suffered loss, you know, any yeah. loss. Uh, you know more so baby loss because obviously it's it's a lot it's rarer than you know if you lose your grandparent who's obviously very old um and, and it's very it's a lot more tragic in that sense as well um but yeah our, our, our sort of you know we are we are a nation of just trying to not talk about things basically and ignoring them and pushing them aside and feeling very uncomfortable about having those awkward conversations where and also a lot of people think that that person doesn't want to talk about it so it's not just that we don't know how to approach it approach it but actually we don't understand the feelings because having not experienced it ourselves um so i guess that's that's a big part of it really help so if you are supporting uh, read the book if you're supporting someone through loss as well there might be chapters within it that you feel aren't relevant for you and you could skip through those but there's a there is a whole section around kind of our use of language um circles of grief and how to get people to understand about taking emotions out to people rather than in towards the person who's grieving and i think my key, I, I guess the key thing that I would say around what to do if you know somebody who is grieving is just to be in a place where you acknowledge their grief. You don't need to do anything. There is nothing to be done. Absolutely everything that you do will not bring their baby back or not mm -hmm. undo the loss. So learning to just be with their sadness, but in that, that might sound a little bit hard to understand. In the book, there's some really practical, like, actions that you can take tools that you can use language that you can use and I hope that that does you know aid and support people because it, it can be a real stumbling block can't it just knowing what to do to support mm -hmm. and art, to, sorry Stan go on the art of holding space and I personally think that if you work with birth you work with loss they go hand in hand with each other you know um I don't think you can work fully in one role and not experience loss and supporting people through loss in its many different forms. Well, I yeah. haven't been able to anyway. And that also includes birth trauma, but I don't know if that's mm. in your book, Jay. There's a very, very small amount in the book around the difference between grief and trauma. Um, and that's quite important to put in there so that it's kind of in the section that's around like techniques that you might undertake. And it's, I really put it in just, when I'm talking about working with your grief, I, th I think there is a difference between working with your trauma and your grief and mm. probably that one needs to come before the other. Um, but I am not a psychotherapist so that, you know, that is, that's kind of from what <laughs> I've seen or experienced. And I also think, and this will probably be a bold thing to say, but I think it is easy for us to go, oh, they're, 
they are traumatized as you know trauma has become like an extraordinarily like now word hasn't it like mm. it's on trend and I'm not saying that lightly I fully understand that a lot of people are also just realizing the trauma that has existed but with so much trauma trending let's say um I feel like it is really important for us to go oh grief is actually also massive like grief is a huge thing in and of itself and like what tools have we got in place to deal with that Mm. because actually what a person might be calling trauma because it is you know a very popular word right now and, and rightly so in many ways actually might just be that no one's ever equipped you either to deal with grief and Mm. so I think I hope that the book does something to to kind of explore that um but yes I I think I think you're right there they are very much two different things aren't they um we talked to Amy Brown about breastfeeding grief and trauma um something that I've personally struggled with the grief of my breastfeeding journey but I don't um resonate with the word trauma I don't feel traumatized by it and they are very much they can come hand in hand like you say if you're traumatized you're very much going to grieve at the same time but you might not necessarily be traumatized but you could still be be grieving so yeah Yeah, very much two different things yeah 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 so I'm going to jump back a second Kay you mentioned grief what did you call it grief recovery program I was hoping you could tell grief recovery method yeah so um during the process of writing the book I really felt like within my own work as a doula supporting loss informed clients it is really difficult to know when that relationship should end between Mm -hmm. doula and client um much cleaner and clearer in a live birth um but my you know my ideal would be that I could handhold every single client through the entirety of their fourth trimester through to when they potentially either do get pregnant again or they host a ceremony and that would be completely and utterly impractical impractical so I wanted to be in a position where there was something that kind of was a natural action that I could take a way of saying that now marks the end of my relationship with you as your doula however there is something else that I can offer if you would like to continue to do work with me and doing research in what that was, I was looking at all kinds of grief ceremonies and some really, really beautiful, wonderful, you know, death doula workshops and things that I could have gone on. And there was something that wasn't right. There were a few of my clients sticking in my mind who were very dominant culture clients, very um, clean, tidy, liked things as they were, who I imagined going to and saying, I could host a grief ceremony for you and then laughing me out of out of the house, you know, and, and going, actually, that's totally not what I need. What I need is something that is some, something that is useful, but also something that I can almost give to somebody. So it's a tool that they have then got that they can utilize themselves. That's when I came across the grief recovery method. Um, and what it is, is essentially an action plan that I teach to people. So it eight one-to-one sessions or eight sessions in a group of six and you would be in a session with people that you that you aren't connected to so it wouldn't be that you would rock up with a bunch of friends so it would be people that you are unconnected to and you work through a handbook together and through an action plan together which by the end of the process of the eight weeks you work on completing incomplete relationships with people that may be people that you have lost physically or that may be people that are still living, but you work through a process that takes you to completing communications with people. And you have those communications, those final communications in, in a form of a letter, which you then have witnessed and read, um, not by the person that they're for or to. Um, but in that process and, and on the training, we went through the process ourselves and um, I, I just have never done anything like it. It was this it was so simple. It's such a simple action plan. And it's just something that then means that I can go on to do these completions of my relationships with any form of loss ongoing and have a way of getting that communication that's trapped, that energy that's trapped, that like unspoken stuff that is all accumulating as grief within me is given voice and comes out. And it is really, really powerful. So yes, I'm now I'm now an advanced grief recovery specialist, which sounds very, uh, it just basically means that I can also teach it online. I can teach the method online to people. So that feels like a really powerful tool to have and a really accessible tool to have to, mm. to offer clients in the future and also offer people who haven't been my dealer clients, but who have experienced loss of any kind, really. Yeah. 
And a really good way to obviously, like you say, continue working with them and, um, you know, them to benefit. Because like you say, you know, you, you've done all that work supporting them as a doula. And this is the thing I really struggle with, honestly, is to just be able to, to sort of stop supporting them and sort of say your official goodbyes. I find that so difficult. It's very, very difficult. And, you know, I know as, as doulas, sometimes we do grieve that kind of relationship that we have with our clients as well because it's really special to have those connections isn't it yeah it has made me as a doula supporting loss it has made me all the more aware of that you know we you know when we're trained as birth workers we're trained in like making sure that you don't make yourself needed by your client that you don't kind of position yourself into a place where once you're gone there's going to be this great big gap once you are gone from a loss experience there is going to be a great big gap because the baby is not there Hmm. so the heightened sense of making sure that I don't make myself indispensable to that client is like really really present for me when I'm supporting loss informed birth yeah because um, yeah. you don't want them to be you know um, grieving for you as well for you leaving that relationship absolutely yeah I can really get that <laughs> oh I'm terrible that's one of my weird things I, <laughs> I, I collect my client and because I run groups as well and parenting groups and stuff they tend to stick around because they come to my groups anyway so I'm like and if they're not in my in-person group they're in my online groups so they don't ever really go to be yeah don't get me wrong Sam I don't just like say bye and you know I'm in contact drop with huge numbers in my <laughs> drop them like a hot stone that's it podcast and make her sound like the worst deal. <laughs> Herself, like, it's like, yeah. you're off my Christmas card list that's it now I'm gone no absolutely but like you say you do have to have some kind of closure to that professional relationship isn't it it's not that you don't ever talk to them again it is just about and I have quite a very simple way of doing that with my clients is that I'll always say this is our last official visit doesn't mean you're never going to see me again and if I see them again I'm like right okay my doula hat is off and basically that's like you know uh, now that we are friends and not in a professional relationship, you have to listen to my shit <laughs> so I can talk about myself now and all the crap that's going on in my life. Um, you know, whereas when I'm your doula, I'm there to, you know, put my focus on you, which is obviously what I should be doing as a doula and not talk about my shit that's going on at home. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very clear about that. And I talk about taking my hats on and off. And then if they become... Um, my client wait for a second time so they go around to have another baby then I very much have to say right I'll come in my capacity as a doula my doula hat is now on and my friend hat is off so yeah you do have really have to have those boundaries don't you yeah, yeah. Um, you know predominantly in the second class predominantly because the last what I want is for women to have self-resilience the last yeah. thing I want them to do is be reliant on me like yeah. you know they I am not by my presence in their life is not going to make their grief go away and Mm. um and that's really important for anybody that is you know it goes back to what I was saying earlier like in terms of what you do when you're supporting somebody you can't give them back their baby or their pregnancy so you can't do the thing that they need to be done so get over that hurdle and then do what you can do which is come alongside support and remember and that pressure off of you that you're not going to fix this person they have to be able to integrate grief and peace into their own life um so yeah I suppose you know just understanding that role as a doula but yes I do do a lot of that taking taking on and off my doula I think there is a common misconception that as doulas we um, want to make money and me and Sam have ranted about this on a podcast before is that you know we're all about earning money and how much money we can earn and whereas actually you know the reality is like you said is we're not going to support a family to make ourselves indispensable so they have to keep us on and keep paying for us what we're doing is we are bridging that gap and helping that you know ease that transition into parenthood or when you've got someone that's you know um, experienced loss then we're easing that transition into their new life Uh, their new normal as much as possible we're not wanting to be there for months and years we're not wanting to be that thing that they can't do without that's very much not what a doula is about not what any birth worker is about really like you say it's about resilience isn't it it's about giving them the tools to be able to carry on however there is nothing wrong with making money i keep no 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 absolutely we have ranted about this there's absolutely that we know you deserve to be paid for the time and the energy that you put into any job um i'm saying yeah i just wanted to point out that that is 
a real misconception that you know we are in there to try and get as much money out of a person as we can and make ourselves indispensable which is completely you know the opposite of what we do yeah the opposite to do that I'm fascinated by your work Kay I, I do quite a lot with loss and grief and stuff but I've never I've done two baby loss courses and to be honest the second one it was nice but it doesn't teach me anything that I didn't already know it just reiterated what I already knew and moving into what you've done Kay which is working mainly with loss I find quite fascinating that life has taken you that way because it's never a plan is it to go there no and what I found really interesting and obviously every circumstance of this is different so I do still still sometimes experience things that really really just shock me and I extremely knew but I think what was really interesting is in many ways I'd say that I was quite fearful of death like the death of my own children is one of my biggest terrors you know like it's I think I'm sure for many of us as mothers that is true yeah but I as a doula in the space of being with a woman as she gave birth to a baby who was not alive I was not in terror or horror I just saw a really beautiful baby and I say that even about very very early term miscarriages I am a person who is perfectly happy to stand there with you whilst you look at what has come out of your body and find your baby and I don't know that that is something that many people feel like they could face it's shrouded with it's absolutely shrouded in sadness like we're not stood there having a good old time but I will wrap your baby with you I will take you to have a ceremony I will make your miscarriage feel like a birth experience for you because that's what it is and I will watch you as you have your contractions and I will help you clean up the alternative is in an early miscarriage you go home and you have your miscarriage on the toilet that, you know that's what we're given as advice take this tablet off you go home there'll be some blood you'll pass something do it down the toilet see you later only come back if there's a problem mm. that you've just sent a birthing woman home yeah I don't care if she's two weeks if she's three weeks if she's four weeks like she's going to go home and labor and you've just completely disregarded the fact that she's about to meet her baby and for some of the women that I'm with early miscarriages they're meeting something that really looks like a baby you know and yes it's really small and yes it's terrifyingly sad for us when we haven't had images of that around us but for some reason that and supporting loss was just something that didn't stop me from being able to be a doula and be with women and I feel like if that is if that's my reality then I I continue to do it because I don't think that that is you know it's not it's not to big me up or to play into my ego but if that is something that I feel capable of doing it god it needs doing you know like yeah. it's beautiful it's a beautiful mm, thing absolutely uh, it's so precious to families yeah it's quite interesting that you're you know my biggest fear after all of the things I've seen and all of the things I've done and all of the things I've supported my biggest fear isn't the death of my children it's social services because the women that I've supported mm. who've lost their children to social services to me it's a living death it's grieving a child that's alive and this there's so little acknowledgement of it in our culture um, and the shame and the oh you must have done something you must have done something you know it must be your fault the social so and I've seen these women and I that I am more frightened of that than anything else and that's what keeps me up in the night and I've got no reason to fear social services you know my children are quite but some of the people that I've seen have the children removed really didn't have anything to fear either or they thought they didn't and then the instability and the mental health issues that are caused by the social services intervention that's that's what I've seen it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy and that's what terrifies me it's quite um, blame is a massive part of grief of the grief cycle anyway so really that's compounding it isn't it by you know basically saying well you deserve what you get sort of thing um you know in the incident Sam was talking about there blame is something that any, any grieving person goes through how when we, we seem to have managed somehow as a society like, like like even within a more commercial society to have really harnessed an understanding of how beautiful and how precious this motherhood malarkey is or this having a child is like I think we seem to have got that maybe still not in the like sanctity that it really deserves but to some level we have seen the beauty in it how is it therefore as a society that we have given absolutely no bearing to the torture to the torture that must exist for women when they therefore do not have their babies mm -hmm. 
Mm, to a woman who has their child taken away from them by social services or a woman whose baby dies or pregnancy ends like what what education and information have we been given to the fact that at some point in our lives we may have to face this absolute heartbreak and I think that in some ways I hope that that is what the book is about is someone asked me a really interesting question the other day should every pregnant person read this book and I was like um no like it's pretty full on I think you know as a pregnant person would you pick it up and read it do I believe that everybody should be given the content of this book in their secondary education absolutely like that's when they should have been read this book not when they're pregnant playing catch up you know and and I will you know put that out there that it is it's hard it's got loads of case studies of people experiencing baby and pregnancy loss so it's not like joyful read but if you want to educate yourself and you're in a position either as a birth worker or as somebody who has experienced loss in the past and who is pregnant again then yeah like there's stuff in there that we need to be speaking about Mm. I think it's about from what you're saying again I don't want to use too many personal examples but with my own children they understand about stillbirth we've had a friend who had a stillbirth they understand about miscarriage they know that sometimes a pregnancy doesn't lead to a healthy baby that's it that's it ingrained into their childhood and there's this thought from some people that it destroys their innocence but these are facts of life these are things that happen in day-to-day life and they're not frightened of it it hasn't caused them this massive layer of fear they just understand that these things happen because they, they live in this house and we talk about these things um, and and you know they're primary age they're not secondary age yet and I think that for children, they're much more accepting anyway of all of these things. It, we've made it, society has made all of these things a massive taboo, yeah. you know, and to them, I'm not saying it's preparing them for that. It's more that we just open so that we talk about it, so they know about it. Um, and I like that as a way of living. You know, I, I'd never hand over my children's education to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they go to school, they go to school, two of them, but... The education that they get is a better life education. You know, this book that you've written, Kay, will probably end up lying around the house. And I've no doubt that my 10-year-old will read it. She might not read it all from cover to cover, but she yeah. reads all of my books that are lying around. So I have to be careful what I leave lying around, to be honest. The, the problem, the issue there, I guess, is that, you know, already we don't teach our children, or the system doesn't teach our children, um, you know, about the realities of childbirth, about getting pregnant, you know, that education isn't it isn't in our education system properly yet, um, you know, and so really getting lost into there isn't going to stand a chance, or, you know, until we've got all that in, in place as well, is it? Yeah, no, it's, we've got a really, really long way to go, and I don't, the, the one thing that I would say that is different between that and maybe other things that our kids aren't taught is that there can be a real responsibility on us as parents and it's on us as you know women and mentors and aunties and uncles and you know people who are around other children to just bring the conversation of end of life and grief and loss more colloquially into our language of compassion and care for one another you know I think that you know that very kind of again stiff British upper lip thing of you know don't talk about it you know like we can champion and call that out as individuals and say you know Mm. using really clear language when whenever I come home from a birth or when I've experienced a loss-based scenario and the kids sort of say you know where have you been I've just been with a woman while she's been experiencing miscarriage and you know if we know a gender then we share what the gender is we'll light a candle in our home and my kids have absolutely no like idea that that baby is gone away for a little while and is coming back or that you know I haven't fluffed it up into any kind of notion of tweeness and their brains are perfectly geared towards being able to understand the concept of life and death they're not very far away from it themselves are they you know they've only just come out one side of it so they probably have a much greater understanding of it than us (laughs) so um you know I, I think we we overcomplicate it and uh, when, yeah. when we keep our sadness from the doors of our children all it does is is when they then do see you sad is is it can lead to them believing that that's their fault that they, that you're hiding things from them you know like it can be traumatic yeah teach your children how to be with people when they're sad by being sad with your children like, absolutely you know and then they'll know how to be there for other people yeah absolutely raising, raising the next generation of doulas yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um 
yeah, I, I sometimes do the Daily UK intro days um, and we talk a little bit about loss and, and baby loss and, and, you know, you see their faces sort of go, oh my God, I can't, you know, they're already dead scared about going to a birth. So talking about loss can be really overwhelming. But one of the things I always say is what you've already said, Kay, is that as doulas, it's just using the talents that we use when there is a live baby. It's using that holding space, like Sam said, and acknowledging their feelings and just being with them. And they're okay. all things that as doulas and birth workers, we can do. So there's no reason why a birth worker or a doula should fear being faced with that situation because they are completely capable uh, you know if they're completely capable of supporting a live birth then they are completely capable of supporting a baby loss as, as well um, but obviously there are sort of um, courses and things like Sam said that you can take to further your understanding out there um, could you could you just talk one of the, some of the ones that you would suggest people maybe look at so I'm, I'm going to be honest there's not a huge number specifically for doulas however Maddie McMahon has just shared a really new one and I'm really sorry to whoever it is that's running it it's somebody called Chris who's running it and it's a new specific baby loss course yeah. for I'll share a link yeah yeah I, um, Michelle Avery supporting every birth which was yeah. very good sons do one for um doulas as well still birth sans do a really excellent language based one as well i found the sans language which was an online one it was um not that long ago that i went on it um was really really excellent um yeah. i was trying and to find another one and i can't remember what it was called oh my foundation god foundation for infant loss training that's that, yeah, one. that was the one i yeah. did that one um yeah. But also I've just got, like UK, I think, but I think you've got a lot more experience of loss than me, but I've got a lot of, it's through experience really of supporting yeah. families. I've done a lot of what Kay's been talking about, ceremonies for miscarriage and mm. support. I've done a lot of it, um, Not, but I've not been in the room at a stillbirth. Mm. But I have supported for a long time afterwards and more than one family. Um, and it's just experience and being compassionate. And I think having pagan beliefs really helps, to be honest with it because ceremony and stuff I've not done a course I think I was thinking you should do a course Kay you know with ceremony really of what yeah. I will go on to do within this lost faith work is that there will be some form of I don't know whether it's going to be called a training or whether it's just going to kind of be called an like an immersion or an experience and again we need to wait for society to open because I'm absolutely not doing it online but yeah I think that works okay. I <laughs> yeah you've got two people coming already amazing great two bookings and I think that work will probably be less around baby loss and more around grief um yeah. and I think I will probably deliver some of that work alongside death doulas. I think there's so much, there is so much crossover between the work of birth doulas and death doulas that yeah. um, is really, yeah. really fascinating to me right now. Um, but I am completely happy for any doula at any point who wants to get in contact with me about a specific thing within baby loss. Like there's, it's really important, isn't it, to hear that thing of yes, yes, there's courses out there, but there is no such thing as being professionally qualified at being a good doula for loss like yeah. you know, in the same way that all of our doula trainings as phenomenal as they are like your doula journey happens through a small amount of knowledge and a large amount of practice work. and um yeah if, if people are nervous if particularly this is something that I'm really happy to offer as a support service if people suddenly want to go into shared care with me with a client because their client moves into experiencing loss um, if the first time you come across that as a doula and you're anywhere in the country and you want to pick up the phone and say can you come and join me in shared care then I'm totally happy to do that as well and sometimes that can just be the thing actually is being around somebody else and seeing somebody else and how they're handling it um, I've done that with a few doulas in at the last point where they've just their client has lost baby and they've not quite known how to continue mm. and it's just I've done very very little actually but I think sometimes just knowing that that person is is there is quite useful absolutely it, it is something I talk to, to people about when I'm doing talks about free birth you know if you're going to go to a free birth as a doula you do have to think about whether you're prepared for death to happen and how you would feel afterwards and whether you, I literally go into it in that depth, it, you know, ultimately a death is possible at any birth and you do have to think about how you would feel if you were the doula and there was no midwife um, and 
whether that's something you're prepared to accept because for me I can do it because the birthing woman is taking responsibility the family is taking responsibility it's not my responsibility to to bear but you have to know that you've got that boundary I think before you go to a free birth that you you're still to... you're still going to have those feelings aren't you Sam regardless of whether you know that 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 person has taken responsibility for their own birth you still as a person as a human being gonna have those automatic normal feelings of blame that comes with a loss really um but like you say it is about all about boundaries isn't it and also just making sure that your client is fully aware of you know the fact that it's it's their responsibility and you're not medically trained and you know all those boundaries that we put in place as as doulas and birth workers yeah i think it's beautiful your website is beautiful in its simplicity i love what you've been talking about i can't wait to read your book my mother thinks i'm weird like because i read all the random stuff and my mother goes oh how can you like that how can you be excited about that but the darker side i mean i chose michelle every runs um every birth matters was my mentor and i chose her specifically because of her work she was um she used to volunteer for the miscarriage association and i chose her specifically for her work with the darker side of pregnancy you know it was a deliberate action on my part as to who i chose as my mentor I didn't want another mentor. I just wanted a mentor who worked with that kind of loss. So are you a mentor, Kay? You do mentoring. I haven't got any time, but I would love to. <laughs> I, I, I am really happy to, in a very informal way, like come alongside. I was going to just say, actually, I think it, it's really interesting the way that we work as doulas. This conversation has been very doula-based, hasn't it? But um, Sorry. Think, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I'm a doula. I love it. Um <laughs> I think it's interesting how little we lean into each other outside of the um, outside of asking a question. So going on and saying, you know, I've got permission for my client to ask this question. We are all probably the biggest advocates for the idea of it takes a village, you know, to raise a child, to, to birth and what have you. And that is, uh, I, I fully support the UK mentoring program. Everyone should get a brilliant mentor and mentoring should always be around. I think it's great. But I am totally happy to be an informal mentor. Yeah, I mentor mentor outside of Doodle UK. I get doulas, I charge them the same. Well, it will be £30 an hour now because I just put my prices up. But I do the same thing outside and officially. Like you can fill me up. Lost mentoring is something I'm totally happy to do. Um, It's if people want to pick up the phone as a doula and go like, I'm terrified or I'm really in shock Mm. or I don't know what to say or what am I meant to do my clients at home miscarrying like you are you are welcome to ring me I'm not a medical expert so I'm not going to be able to help in a medical emergency but if you want to speak to me about how do you hold space at a time of loss totally pick up the phone and speak to me like that's I I want those women and those birthing people to be okay and if there's any small part of my brain that has the knowledge or support to make you do that better sure like you know that's that's just there and I think it's it's well needed okay because you know there isn't or there aren't many doulas and birth workers out there specifically doing what you're doing at the moment and like you said there are very few books um like yours you know majority of them are memoirs of people that have suffered loss and that's obviously a very individual personal journey and not the same as everybody uh, you know not, not the same experiences everyone's going to have so i think it's really important that you've come in as someone who hasn't experienced that and is talking about people people that you know your experience supporting people i think it's a very you know a unique approach and definitely you know well needed i can't wait to read the book personally I can't wait for you to do a course. <laughs> nope. I think just to, to make sure that I've definitely put it on here as well, like the book is pretty packed with extra resources. Like the whilst whilst we as a society might not be super good at holding grief and you know, integrating loss into our lives, the third sector, the charitable sector in baby loss is full of some really incredible organizations yeah. and who do some outstanding work and I wouldn't have the knowledge and the information and the confidence that I do to make sure that women are able to recover and find peace if it wasn't for a lot of their work and so I've very firmly put them throughout the book you know you'll say like where, where to go but there is a really big section so from a doula perspective 
if you never read anything that I've actually written beyond the further reading and resources, keep this book in your back pocket to give to the client that you first come across the experiences loss. Yeah. And it saves you from having to do all that research yourself. There's loads of really great resources in there. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kay, before we sort of wrap up the podcast for today, is there anything else that you want to say, perhaps to, you know, a, a patient, a patient, a client, <laughs> a person, a parent? I was trying to say the difference between client and parent and it didn't quite work. Um, <laughs> do you have anything that you might want to say to, to parents listening to this, perhaps, that, that either yeah, have experienced sure. I mean, or could do? Certainly anybody who has listened and stuck with listening who has experienced loss themselves, you know, I, I see you and I'm really, really sorry that you've experienced baby loss or pregnancy loss. It is some of the deepest and most heartbreaking pain that you will experience in your life. What I think is the, the key thing I would say is your grief is your 100% experience of it. And don't let anybody tell you that you should be grieving less, grieving more, grieving differently, or that your circumstance is any less or more important than anybody else's, you need to work with your 100% experience of grief. And mm. I really hope that in the future you come to find peace and that the memory of your baby or child remains really present in your family. Lovely. Thanks, Kay. Sam, any last words? No, I think Kay summed it up beautifully. Thank you, Kay. It has, it's, you know, a very um, deep, sometimes heavy um, conversation talking about loss and, and grief. But th these are the conversations that need to happen, aren't they, to, to get the message out there, really. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. It's been absolutely lovely to have you back on the podcast. Thank you both again. It's always delightful hanging out and nattering with you both. Absolutely. OK, so goodbye till next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.